And open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. On one of the uh, recent cold nights that we had, Sue made soup for dinner, and it was just outstanding. Uh, I'm more likely to kind of make the same thing, kind of repeat, uh, you know, when you have a winning concept, kind of stay with it. And she will strike out on the internet and find a good uh, recipe. That was an Italian wedding soup, and then she added a couple of other things to it, like meat. You know, she knows that I like the meat in there. It had a lot of ingredients, and it was all in this wonderful balance, and, and as I ate it, it was like, oh, this is so good, and that taste, and oh, and just kind of kept discovering how good it was. You know, if she'd have left anything out, uh, it would have been good, but not quite the same, not quite as outstanding as it was. And I'm not just, uh, you, know, in, you know, flattering her. It really was tasty. The coming of Christ from heaven to earth is a story with many component parts, all of which are essential, all of which have a, a part to play in the big story. Uh, there is the big story of Christ coming to be our Savior, and there are a host of small stories that are part of that, and we're looking at some of those as we work our way through Luke chapter 1 and 2 in this season. Today we want to start in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 and start to look at the story of Mary. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and, he, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Within this big story of God bringing salvation through Christ, and even within the story of the virgin birth, we see a smaller story about Mary's relationship with God. And it teaches us things about our relationship with God. We begin with the section we just read, which I've called Mary's Big Decision for God. And we start with her identity. Mary is called a virgin. Now, one of the reasons that it's, it, it's important that we understand she's a virgin because of the prophecy and, and a host of other uh, important issues, but it also tells us something about her. 
girls were betrothed to be married and they were still virgins in the age of range of 12 to 14. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever imagined Mary as a teenage girl. Uh, we've got some teenage girls here today. We, we have a, a much more mature mental image, and I know when, when her picture is drawn on the Christmas cards, which we know comes right from the Gospel of Luke, we see her as we see young mothers today, usually perhaps in their 20s or so. But Mary was a very young girl, uh, somewhere in the range of 12 to 14 years old. She was from Nazareth. Nazareth was kind of like Custer. But <laughs> can any good thing come out of Custer? But the thing you have to understand about places and about little towns back then was you couldn't drive there in 10 minutes. It was kind of out there, and it was kind of away, and, and it was not thought of as a great place. It wasn't a terrible place, but it wasn't a great place either. It was kind of, kind of an insignificant place. And then, of course, she was engaged, the King James word betrothed, and we need to understand engagement a little differently in the Bible than we do in our era. Um, they, they had a, a formal agreement that really was equivalent to them to the legal part of marriage. And then there would be about a year-long wait, and uh, then at, a, at an appointed time, the groom would come for his bride, and, and there would be a celebration of people. There would also be the consummation of the marriage. But, but she was in this time when she was legally bound to a man. It wasn't just like, oh, look what he gave me. It was legally bound, and to break the engagement was called divorce. So it was a significant kind of time in her life. But when we think about her as a teenage girl, we think about her being from Nazareth. Uh, commentator Kent Hughes summarized her life in this little statement that I think is very poetically put. From all indicators, her life before the angel came, would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. That's who Mary was. She was just an average girl in the sense of average believers. Then we have the angelic greeting. And I'm going to digress just a little bit here because there has been some real misconception about the person of Mary that's been promoted by the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, if you're from a Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic background, I, I've got no ax to grind with you, but I do with the doctrine because it's based on a bad understanding of this very passage that we just read. In the uh, New King James, which I'm reading out of, the, the angel said, rejoice. In the King James, he said, hail. In the NIV, he said, greetings. And the interesting thing about a word study on this word this week is all three of those are right. You say, well, how can that be? Well, there's different elements to the word. The, the literal root of the word means joy, but it was a common greeting and the word hail was a common greeting in the 1500s when the King James Version was translated. 
Uh, we have kind of taken the word hail and attached it, other than you know, the atmospheric kind, we've attached it to some special greeting to some important person, in part because of how it was used here. But it, it really would have just been like saying, hi, or how you doing? And, and the, the joyful part is the kind of thing that would have come into the English language in the saying of good day, you know, something positive, if you will. And so it was a common greeting. The angel came and said, hi, Mary, uh, you know, basically, in, in a joyful way, if, as much as he could. And then he said, you are a highly favored one. And the word favor, uh, the highly favored, means graced. It's the same root word that we get the word grace from in the New Testament. And the importance of that is that the meaning of the word grace is a gift. Okay? It doesn't mean you are something special. It means something special has come to you. You have been highly favored by God you are in a position of receiving a tremendous gift. Now, the part of the problem with the Roman Catholic doctrine and the whole concept of, of Mary and how she is elevated comes from the Roman Catholic version of the Bible, which is called the Douay version, D-O-U-A-Y. And in their version, it says, Hail Mary, full of grace. There is an intimation in their, in their Bible that she was already full of grace when the angel came and greeted her. That is not what the scripture says. So you say, well, how did they get to that point in their Bible translation? Well, I'm going to go one more step off of my sermon and give you a little lesson on Bible translations. And... Um, the New Testament, Old Testament, of course, in Hebrew and some other languages, and the New Testament primarily in Greek, if you want to make a Bible translation like the New King James or the King James or the NIV or, or what one you might have, you start with the Greek and you learn Greek and you say, what is the, most, the closest equivalent of this word in the English language? And then you write that word down. Or, or these phrases, or this grammar, you go from Greek to English, okay? No problem, we all understand that. The problem with the Greek Douay version is it's essentially a two-step translation. They started with the Greek, and it went to the Latin, and then to the English. This translation is called the Vulgate, and it comes from the word vulgar, which does not mean something terrible, it means something common. When that Bible translation was made, Latin was the common language. And so they took the Greek and put it into Latin so the common man could read it, and it became really, um, we have a version today called uh, Something, something English version, the contemporary English or common English version. That was the common Latin version, okay? The CLV of its day. And so when they got ready to translate it into English, they based it heavily on the Latin, and the Latin translation was faulty in this phrase when it said, you are full of grace. Of course, the popes of the day picked up on this, and then they pronounce an official interpretation of the scripture, and now we have people praying to Mary 
because she is full of grace. Raymond Braun, a highly respected Catholic New Testament scholar, agrees that the phrase full of grace is an inaccurate translation. Here's a Catholic saying that's a bad translation. If Luke had wanted to say this, he would have used a phrase that he used later in Acts chapter six when he described Stephen as full of grace. But he didn't say that. He said, you have been graced by God. You have been highly graced. Um, and, And of course, the translation and the things that the Roman Catholic Church made out of Mary get bigger and bigger and worse and worse until Pope Pius X said this, from the very first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was, by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, kept free from the stain of original sin. Now, if you don't know your theology real well, um, or real, the details, let me explain that. They're saying she never had any sin nature and no sin in her at all. Okay. Now, they theorize this based on this. How could a sinless Savior be born from a sinful woman? Okay. Now, I get the logic. I get the logic. But then, wouldn't Mary have had to have been born from sinless parents? And on and on and on. Okay, where does that end? I don't know how they explain all that. And I'm not here to bash them. I am here to correct this doctrine because it's important to understand that Mary was a normal, born in sin, Old Testament believer, righteous in the Old Testament kind of way, but nothing special beyond that. She was righteous in the normal way of a good believer in her era, and the blessing that she had came from God to her. It was not within her as though she was something special. The angelic greeting, you are going to be graced by God. God's gifting. What did God do for her? Look at verse 31. God said... You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You will bring forth a son, and his name will be called Jesus. This is an Old Testament word. Most common in the Old Testament, you would think of Joshua is the Old Testament form of it, and it means God will save. Of course, with Jesus, that name reaches its its literal reality not just a uh, a figurative reality of god and then it says he will be great he will be great he will be called the son of the highest and then in verse 32 it says he will have the throne of his father david and verse 33 it says he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end uh, as if the first phrase wasn't good enough, he, he extends it to that second phrase. And this all adds up to the Messiah. Now, here's the reason why it's important for you to understand Mary's background. She's a no-name girl from a no-name town. She, yes, she had a connection to the throne of David through her family line. But in her life, 
She would have just been an average girl, an average mom. And God came along and said, I'm going to do something for you. You are going to be the mother to this son, to this Savior. And she quite likely knew these concepts about the Messiah that was to come well enough to understand, wow, I'm going to be the person, I'm going to be the woman who carries him. The angel was essentially saying, here's the blessing from God. You get to be the mother of the Messiah. Now notice in verse uh, 34, Mary did not question his identity at all. I find that interesting. She had to have known that this was something that was coming. She didn't question the identity, but verse 34, she just said, how can this happen without a man being involved? Let's put it that way. How can that happen? She may not have known everything about marriage and children, but she knew that it takes a man and a woman to procreate a child. And so the final piece of information that God gives her is in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary was the, was the place of conception, but the Holy Spirit created the body of Christ. Mary was to provide a womb. God would create the child. Now, I... I other than that diversion on the Catholic doctrine, I probably haven't told you anything too much you didn't already know if you know this Christmas story. The part where it becomes very practical to us, though, is in her response in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And we think, well, of course she'd say yes. Why wouldn't she? I mean, has she ever seen the picture on the Christmas card? You know, that's just, I mean, man. Has she ever seen a Christmas pageant? Well, Mary is a prime example of an Old Testament believer. Okay, Old Testament, the Old Testament didn't end until Christ died on the cross. Those people were all Old Testament believers, and yet their responsibility to God was the same as our responsibility to God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one you shall love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So when that angel came and said, Mary, this is what God has for you, she said, here I am. She had to have had a a, a, a faith in God, a, a relationship with God as an Old Testament believer before this moment. But even though she would have, there is a tremendous element of faith in her response. She responded as a godly young woman should have responded, but we need to realize what a big deal this was for her. We know the whole story and we look we look on Mary with the warm glow of the Christmas card. And we, sit, we, we, we have that manger picture and there's Mary and Joseph and the baby and, and, and the animals and may, maybe we've got the wise men in there too. You know, they probably came a little later, but we've got them in there and, and we're going, wow, isn't, isn't that just the coolest thing? 
And so when we read this, the angel coming to her, we think, well, of course she's going to say yes. But Mary was risking her well-planned, normal, expected future for one that was absolutely unknown. The angel essentially asked her to turn her life upside down, to follow God. Hey, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is, and the bad news is, your life will never be the same. Are you going to go for it? It's kind of a picture of, of every decision of righteousness that God brings to us. He comes to us and he says, here is the opportunity for you to walk in righteousness. Now you have to deny this sin over here. Are you going to do it? We, we talk about Christ every week pretty much, and we think about him on the cross. He died for our sins, and God says, I've sent him for your sins, but you have to admit you're a sinner. You have to let go of your own prideful um, reaching up to heaven and accept the gift that Christ has made. You cannot hang on to your life and embrace the God life at the same time. This is very similar to Mary's situation, very similar to Abram's situation in the Old Testament. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And where did God tell Abraham he was going to go? What? He didn't. He just said, pack up everything you have and your family and, and start going. And I'll show you where to go. Now if you do, I got great blessing for you. Do we look at Abraham the same way? Well, of course he's going to be the father of nations and the father of the Lord, and why wouldn't he do all this? He didn't know all that stuff. He didn't even know how his own son was going to be born. We see that from the, from the debacle that became Ishmael later on. Life of faith. God doesn't show us the whole picture. He says, here is what I want you to do, now go. He didn't tell Mary the whole picture. He told her there was a great blessing. God has graced you. He's given you this opportunity. Abraham didn't know where he was going. God asks believers today to let go of the control of life, to let go of self-sufficiency, of pride, of dignity, of self-determination, of self-esteem. He says, put it all on the altar and let God use you as he pleases. Put it all there and let God use you as he pleases. You know, we have uh, missionaries. Uh, we have missionaries in Thailand. Of course, one of them is our own Catherine, but she's there because of Rick and Lisa Kaner. And you know, Rick and Lisa Kaner were highly gifted, capable, effective servants of God. They were serving in a pastoral ministry and then recruited to work at the headquarters of the mission agency, ABWE, and then were put in contact and eventually ended up in Thailand. But you know, Rick's wife, Lisa, all of her life, she comes from a family of highly talented people. 
well, musically and, and uh, highly driven and effective servants of God. And they said, we're going to go to Thailand and serve the Lord. And they went to Thailand and they didn't win a single soul to the Lord until she was in a car accident that almost took her life and has left her brain injured and working to recover back to normal life. But because she was in the hospital, they won two nurses to the Lord. And they've continued to win people to the Lord. And God is using her, her, her circumstance and her, her will to serve the Lord. He's using all of that to, to move the ministry along. But if God had said to her or to you, now you're going to go to Thailand. Let me tell you exactly what's going to happen between here and there. Is there some other way, God? God made that kind of an ask of Mary. He said, Mary, let go of your life. You, you have to understand that Mary was risking the, the loss of her engagement. I mean, to be that was part of the, you know, I, I don't know that it's written anywhere, but everybody assumes that part of the reason for a year-long engagement was to make sure somebody wasn't pregnant. To make sure there was honor there. And, and, and here she is engaged. Not only would she risk losing the man, how do you go to your parents and say, well, I got some news for you, folks. I'm pregnant. What? Yeah, Holy Spirit put a child in me. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> how do you do that? How do you convince people of that? You don't. You don't. How many years did it take for people to get that? Years. I don't think she grasped all of that. You read the rest of the story, Luke chapter uh, 2, you follow it on. It says she kept these things in her heart and she pondered them. She had an unfolding understanding of Christ as well. But right at the moment she was asked to give up her normal life, her planned life, her good life, and exchange it for the blessing of God. God still asks us to do the same thing. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Remember when Peter was talking to Jesus about John right at the on the on the on the edge of the lake when Jesus and Peter were having that come back to Jesus moment and God said you are going to Christ said you are going to sacrifice your life for me and he said what about him pointing to John and Jesus said, that's none of your business. I'm going to do with him the way I want to do with him. And from all that we know, John didn't. Perhaps John lived a long life and maybe sacrificed his life in the end. The point is this. Are you willing to just put yourself into God's hands? Here I am, God. That's what Mary did. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. That is one of the most awesome phrases in the Bible and one of the scariest 
God asks us to let go of our pride and admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior. God asks us to adopt his way of life in all of our behavior. God asks us to submit all of our life to his direction. And we need, with Mary, to say, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. You know, I didn't, I didn't really start living for the Lord until I was 19. And between my 18th year, my 18th birthday and my 19th birthday, almost it was between the birthdays, really, when it started to happen, I started to realize God wants me to give him my whole life. And you know what? I wasn't really that excited about it. That's what he asked Mary. Mary, give me your life. Okay. Oh, it's what we need to do. It's what Mary did. But there's really great news here also, and that's what I've chosen to call Mary's big encouragement from God. God orchestrated the events of the conception of John, who was the prophetic forerunner of Christ. We looked at that last week not only to cause people to notice him and then Christ, but also to strengthen Mary on her journey of carrying the Christ child. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. Verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Here's the angel's response. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy Highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now that's really, again, you have to say, if something appeared to me and said that would happen to me, would I go, sure. But look what he says next in verse 36. Now, indeed... Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. I don't believe that Mary and Elizabeth were, were close like two relatives would be because they lived 100 miles apart. And in that day, that was a four-day walk. So you didn't go over for coffee. But remember, she's been pregnant for six months. And she's been open about it for a month. She kept herself hid for five months. And, and then, of course, remember that uh, her husband, Zacharias, was, was mute. He couldn't talk because of his disbelief of the angel. So that was being talked about. And she was being talked about. So the angel comes along and says, hey, now, your relative is pregnant. She was in her old age. And Mary must have went, oh, yeah. I did hear something about that. Verse 36. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she spoke out with a loud voice saying, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. God made a big request of Mary, but he didn't leave her there. He gave her a big encouragement, which started with Elizabeth's conception. As soon as the angel said, this is what's going to happen to you, he said, Elizabeth is six months pregnant in her old age. She was barren, you know. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary must have went, wow, something's going on here. But there's an encouragement to just realizing God is at work. Again, we go back to Abram. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Mary, as a good Jewish girl growing up, must have known the story of Abram and Sarah and, and, and must have thought, wow, this is, this is incredible. There was an affirmation, there was an encouragement of Elizabeth's conception. There was also an affirmation of the prophetic words. Look at verse 41 again. When Elizabeth heard the greeting, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an Old Testament phrase. That's not a New Testament phrase. But it refers to what happened when the prophets got ready to speak God's word. Scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit coming on someone. You know, Saul prophesied. Other people prophesied. Here the Holy Spirit comes on. So this is God's word. And she spoke, verse 42, I love this. She spoke with a loud voice. Blessed are you among women. And Mary's probably going, shh. I don't really want anybody to know about this just yet. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Wow. Elizabeth's words complemented the words of the angel. Mary must have had one of those surreal moments when she went, this is really happening. And Elizabeth spoke in a loud voice. She didn't care who heard at that point. And then we have the affirmation of the babe in the womb, verse 44. As soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb. Um, Babies move when they're in the womb. And uh, all of you women uh, who have had children know what that's like. And I would suppose that you could tell when some kind of different movement happened. If she was six months pregnant, she'd, she'd had a baby moving about some. But here it's like, whoa! And she, and, and she had one of those one-minute thoughts or one, you know, ten-second thoughts. She went, he responded to her greeting. Wow, as soon as the babe, and, and, the, and, and she, says, she says he leaped for joy. Now, I, I'm going to take that on, on God's word, not hers. You know, moms make up lots of things. No offense. It, newborn baby, oh, they look just like so-and-so. Man, they look like a wrinkly pile of skin, you know. <laughs> But she was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, he leaped for joy. 
And I, I can't help but feel it was a, it was a, a, a pre-occurrence of what would happen later. He was talking about Christ and, and him and the, the relationship they had. And he said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John said, I'm the best man. I'm the guy who stands over here in the wedding, and, and the, the groom, he's the one standing here going, yeah, there comes my bride, and, and he gets her, and they're married, and he, says, and he said, I rejoice from the sidelines, and I'm happy for them. There was joy in John's ministry, the joy of Christ coming and of us having salvation, and that joy was there. <laughs> From before he was, from before when he was born. Now look what else she says to her there. Um, verse forty-three. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now again, Mary did not understand all of the theology. She didn't understand everything that was going to happen with the person of Christ. It's opening up before her. But in that day and in that age, for a young teenager to be esteemed highly by an older godly relative must have been astoundingly encouraging for Mary. Nobody would have a teenager come in and go, Wow, you're greater than me! They just wouldn't do it. You know, I, I know all the modern stuff about self-esteem and all that. That wasn't at play then. You're a teenager. Go sit down. You know, whatever. And here she comes in and, and her relatives goes, what a privilege for me to have you in my home, the mother of my Lord. And, and, and you know, I think it's entirely likely that Mary came in Kind of going, I don't know what's going on, but you're the person I need to be with. I know that. And God gave her encouragement. That's because he understands us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities or, or has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God sent the angel Gabriel to Zacharias. He sent Zacharias to his wife. He said, and he prepared Elizabeth for Mary because he knew they all needed strength together. That's why God has created the body of Christ today. We need each other. This isn't just a thing we do on Sunday morning. If it is, you will find yourself in a weakened spot as the crisis of life comes. We need to be with each other to, to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged by young men reading the scripture and playing musical instruments. And, and we need to be encouraged by old men praying prayers and, 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 and older women and younger women. We all need to be encouraged by each other as we speak the word, as we live the godly life. God has given us the body of Christ for our encouragement because... He asks a lot of us. When you look at what the Christian life entails, it is a big ask. But there's big encouragement. Mary made a decision for God. She was encouraged by God. And, and how does she respond? She worships. And she worships big. Look at verse 46. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary worshiped God and I... I don't have any doubt that perhaps God put some of these words in her mouth based on what she knew from the Old Testament. This, uh, in, if you have a Bible with little uh, breakouts in it, it probably says the song of Mary as mine does. And, and if you're like me, you're saying, where's the music? It's a song because it was a lyrical poem, as were the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament and other songs like Moses, there are times like with Moses' lyrical poem where it's called in the text the Song of Moses, but this was the first Christmas song. And it is a praise song. And she, first of all, she honored God as her Savior. Verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She started her praise song at the beginning with salvation. She knew that the current blessings were only happening because God had graciously brought her into relationship with himself. We know the same thing. We ourselves were also once foolish and disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appear, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. One of the greatest reasons we ought to sing worship songs, that we ought to speak words of praise to God, that we ought to, that we ought to have worship on our lips is because of our salvation. Mary knew that. And she started right there. You know, it's easy in the hard times of life to forget the blessing of salvation, to forget that we're on our way to heaven Forget that God is at work in us. Mary praised God for her salvation. She praised God for how he had graced her, how he had given to her this privilege. Verse 48, he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. See, right there, Mary says, I'm nothing special. I'm just this girl from Custer. I'm just nothing special. She knew that the incredible journey she was on was a gift from God. She had done nothing to deserve it or make it happen. Apostle Paul talked about that. He said, I thank Christ Jesus that he put me into the ministry. He, he praised him for being able to do what he did because I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. She praised God for the grace that had been given to her. Do you thank God for your life and ministry? Do you actively remember? Do you, like, like Philippians 4.8, do you sit down and choose to think about the good things 
of what God has done for you. The third thing she praised God for was the greatness of his mercy, verse 50. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. I know you'll find this hard to believe, but I've been stopped a couple times by the cops for not following the traffic laws as closely as they thought I should. One one time driving up Church Road. Our our house in Tukwila was on a, uh, it was not a a main arterial, but it was a main connector from from two points, and people used to really go up that road. Uh, All the cops and the fire used to go up and down that road from they were going from one place to another. and, And I think the speed limit was some foolish thing, like 25 miles an hour, and There was a curve, there was a curve in the road and our house sat up on top of a hill that was about this tall. You know, the house was there and then the church was on the back of the property and the driveway was cut into that hill so you could park a police car right here and when people came up the road, by the time they saw you, you could have them, see? So they they used to sit in my driveway, which I thought was wonderful for everybody except me. And I was, I was much more intimately connected to the police department there than I am here with the sheriff's office. And I mean, they all knew me and I, I had been on calls with them and all kinds of stuff. So I come up the road and, and I see him as I drive and he basically says, you're lucky it was you and me, buddy. He was merciful. I did not get what I deserved and I did deserve it. Okay. What do you deserve from God? You deserve punishment. What did Mary deserve from God? She deserved punishment. Every person who's ever been born, including Adam and Eve being created, once they sinned, they deserve punishment, and we deserve punishment. And mercy is that great part of God's character where he says, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna hold back on the judgment and I'm gonna hold back on the punishment, and instead I'm gonna grace you. I'm gonna give my son so that your sins can be forgiven. And in Mary's case, he said, I'm gonna hold my wrath towards sin until that son can come. And in fact, you're the one who's gonna give birth to the one who will be your savior. And mercy just, God, Mary just said, how merciful is God? She realized the mercy of God. God did not give her what she deserved. Ephesians 2.4 says, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead or totally overcome in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Mary understood that, and she, that's why she wrote about mercy in her praise song. She also praised God for his unlimited power. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. The unlimited power of God. Mary understood that the normal way things work in the world, world is this. The shakers and the movers and the people with money 
are the ones who make things happen. And if you aren't one of them, you ain't much. That's the way Mary's world worked. And that's the way our world works. And, and she said, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God, God can scatter Look, um, verse 51, he can scatter the proud in their imagination. They think they're all in control. They aren't. Verse 52, he can put down the mighty. He can exalt the lowly. In the Psalms, we read this, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. They were using the idea of a horse and, and warfare and that the man who's on a horse in warfare has an advantage over a man who doesn't, just like a man in a chariot has an advantage over them both. And the, and, and the psalmist said, there's no guarantee there. God is the one. God is the one who's in control. And Mary recognized that. Do you recognize your power, whatever power you might have, as a gift from God? Do you honor God as the source of all the good in your life? Do you honor God by praying for his help? Well, the fifth thing she prayed, praised God for was keeping his covenant. We don't talk about covenants a lot, but it's very important in the scripture. Look there in verse uh, 54. He has helped his servant Israel. Israel, of course, the name for all of God's people. It's also a name for Jacob father of the 12. Um, It's a name for him and also pictures all of Israel together. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained. As he spoke, he has talked about the covenant that God made with his people. God made an agreement with his people in the Old Testament. He says, you follow me and I'm going to take care of you. And uh, there were all of those laws and all of those things that go with it. There is a covenant with us. We get the blessing of the new covenant he's making with Israel. It's referred to in this scripture, this familiar scripture that we use a lot in the Lord's Supper. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. What's the new covenant? The new covenant is God's agreement where he says, I will give you a new heart. I will take away your stony heart. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my law in you. I will put it in your mind. It's the new birth. Mary praised God for the covenant she lived under. She says, you haven't forgotten what you promised to our people. We can look back and say, thank you, God, for the agreement you have made. Your sins and mine are forgiven because God said he would do it if you would believe in Christ. Our salvation is a certainty because God committed himself, and that ought to cause us to praise him. When we lived in uh, Boardman, Oregon, I uh, came to the uh, epiphany-like decision that I could make money buying old cars and fixing them up and selling them. Yeah, I know. Normally, you can't even make money buying a car and driving it and selling it. But I was young and highly intelligent. So I found this car around the corner from our house. There's this car that had been sitting there for a long time, and I thought, I should be able to get that cheap, 
and get it running and make a few bucks, you know. I wasn't looking to get rich, just make a few bucks. And I knew the high school kid that owned it. He worked at the grocery store. And so I said, you know, we'd, somehow we'd gotten acquainted over the time. And I said, hey, I'd like to buy your car. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, maybe. I said, I'd like to pay 50 bucks. Oh, man, oh, oh, you know. We went through that whole thing, and I ended up paying 50 bucks. And I got it, and I started, you know, put a little oil in it and put some spark plugs and got it running just barely. And I thought, oh, man, this, I, have, I have purchased a black hole, and I'm going to now put money into it. And so I called up the junkyard. I said, you know, what do you give me for this thing? Well, if you can drive it in here and it runs, we'll give you 50 bucks for it. <laughs> and the junkyard was a half an hour away. I said, oh, oh, God, please. Please let me get there in one piece. And I got there and I turned the motor off and I went in and I went, oh, God, please let it start again. And it did. And I got my 50 bucks. I only lost... 20 or 30 bucks or whatever I put into it. And that was the last time I bought a car to try to make money. Do you suppose that Mary regretted her decision of dedication? Do you suppose she got to the end of her life and thought, you know, I wish I'd uh, stayed in Nazareth and just let this thing go? Of course not. We can look at it now and go, wow, that was, you know, that was a great decision. Are you having a hard time deciding to declare that you are the servant of God who will do whatever he asks? If Mary was here, she'd say, you'll never regret the great adventure which will come from the dedicated life. Heavenly Father, we struggle with that decision of dedication every day in some of the small things of life and then in some of the big things of life. Please help us to remember Mary. She was on uncertain ground, but she trusted you, and she was blessed beyond measure. Help us, Lord, help us to trust you and to decide for you and to be dedicated to you and then just to receive whatever it is you're going to give us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.